So let's get into the, again, the word here. Numbers 36. Remember, we're at the point, and this continues on to Deuteronomy, where that first generation that's been out there in the wilderness has passed away. And they've passed away really uh, prophetically because, and, and we'll, we'll get into it a little bit in, Deut- in Deuteronomy because the first parts of Deuteronomy are kind of a recap of the things that have happened since they've come out of the land of Egypt. You know, they came out of Egypt delivered by the blood of a lamb and then they were, go to, they were supposed to go in that promised land. And remember, they didn't have the faith to do that. They, they trusted in their eyes versus in the word of God. And the Lord told them, and again, I won't get too deep into it because the first chapter of Deuteronomy reviews it, but the Lord told them, you're going to pass away. Uh, you're not going to inherit that land because you didn't act by faith. And, um, you know, they thought in acting on their own, they'd be better off. Boy, when you act in faith, that's when God's pleased. And it says he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, those that walk by faith. But he said that next generation would be raised up. And, uh, you know, that, that they would enter in that land. And we've come to that place where that first generation, for the most part, has passed away. This next generation has been raised up. And, and really about the middle of Numbers all the way through Deuteronomy, it's, it's them getting prepped and prepared to now go into the promised land. It's really that next generation, uh, you know, getting equipped for what the Lord has for them. And so that's been the, the case in, the, in this second half of Numbers, and then in, in Deuteronomy, it actually, the word Deuteronomy, it, it actually means the second law or repetition of the law. And if you've ever gone through and you read through Leviticus and Exodus, hopefully you guys have done that. I think it's a good practice to try to read through the Bible in its entirety every single year. And you can do that by reading like three, four chapters a day. You can get through the whole Bible in a year pretty easily. Um, and people, oh, three chapters, but you know, that's really only about, you know, two or three pages. Other stuff, you know, you're like, I'm in this novel and I'm reading eight chapters a day. I can't put it down. And then, oh, you read a chapter of the Bible a day. Oh, wow. You're real spiritual. It's, it's not, it's not hard to do, you know, it's how you look at it. Uh, but if you've ever read through it, uh, and hopefully we are reading through it continually, you know, you get to, to Exodus and Leviticus and you see so much of the law and then you get to Deuteronomy. It's like, why is all this being said again? And it's because it's being reiterated. It's the second law. It's being taught to that next generation. And then again, there's some points and insights that weren't given before. And it's not written in vain for us to, oh, we already read this. We don't need to read it again. You know, there's absolutely applications in it being reiterated twice. But again, in understanding that, it helps you, again, get the totality of of the scripture of what's going on. So Deuteronomy means second law, repetition of law. I know we got to finish numbers first and then we'll get into it. But just another thing on Deuteronomy to, to help, you know, your anticipation as we finish numbers 36, though, you guys look like you have great anticipation on your face right now. And you're just like, just, just start already. And others look like, I worked really hard today. And that chicken Parmesan is really wanting to make me go to sleep right now. Uh, but do you realize the book of Deuteronomy is the most quoted Old Testament uh, book in the New Testament? I mean, would you guess that? Deuteronomy, you know, uh, it's, it's quoted in the New Testament nearly a hundred times. And get this, it's also the most quoted book by Jesus Christ in all his ministry. And the Lord taught the scriptures everywhere. So, hey, actually, you look a little, look a little more perked up right now. Look a little bit more, oh, wow, you know, wow, I didn't know that. So... As we finish Numbers 36, which is actually a little bit of repeating of some earlier stuff we looked at Numbers, that will help, you know, whet your appetite a little bit as we'll look at stuff that's kind of 
repetitive of what we looked in Numbers already, but it's good. There's a reason for it. <coughs> so Numbers 36, let's read the first uh, four verses here. And if, if you're with us earlier, when we talked about this in Numbers, this will sound familiar, but it's repeated for a good reason. Because as we finish this out, it's, it's, it's going to see how these things played out. Uh, verse 1, it says, uh, now, the chief, uh, now the chief fathers of the families of the children of Gilead, the son of Mychar, the son of Manasseh, of the families of the sons of Joseph, came near and spoke to Moses before the leaders, the chief fathers of the children of Israel. And they said, the Lord commanded my Lord Moses to give the land as an inheritance by lot to the children of Israel. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of our brother Zolophahad. It's always easier to pronounce in my office. Zolophahad to his daughters. Now, if they are married to any of the sons of the other tribes of the children of Israel, then their inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of our fathers, and it will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry. So it will be taken from the lot of our inheritance. And when the jubilee of the children of Israel comes, then the inheritance will be added to the inheritance of the tribe in which they marry. So their inheritance will be taken away from the inheritance of the tribe of their fathers. And if you were with us for this uh, a, a few chapters back, um, remember some of the daughters of, of the tribe of Manasseh, um, they, they didn't have brothers. And normally, again, when the father passed away, the way it worked in Israel, the inheritance went to the son. This, this wasn't to, to trample the women or anything like that. Obviously, when these men married, that inheritance would go to their wives as well. And it wasn't a thing that they were left out, you know, completely in the cold if their fathers passed. There were different provisions that were there. But as far as the land, and remember the land's a huge thing with the nation of Israel. Because this land had been given to them by God, it had been distributed to each one of the tribes, not just for them to live there and to have a good life and so forth, which was God's desire for them. In fact, he said, if you obey me, you'll be blessed. If you disobey me, you'll come under a curse. And you see that played out throughout the history of Israel there in the Old Testament. When they obeyed, they were blessed. When they didn't obey, they, you know what, they were taken to the woodshed. But they were all, listen, they were in that land just not to have a good life. They were in that land to remember be set apart for the work of the Lord because why did God birth Israel in the first place was that through them what all the families of the earth would be blessed through what the coming of the Messiah the Lord Jesus Christ it was that continuation of the promise that through the seed of the woman the serpent's head would be crushed and after the flood God realized I need to set a whole nation aside because when we didn't have these nations, remember, that seed came, became so corrupted, which we'll talk more about later on in the book of Deuteronomy. So God had to do a reboot. So let me set aside a nation. And let me make them a great nation while they're in slavery and multiply them. And then bring them out. I'll give them this land of Canaan that I promised to their father Abraham to put them in that land, to set them apart. That again, through their genealogy and eventually be through the tribe of Judah, the Savior would be born. So when they're talking about this stuff with land and inheritance, it's not just, again, a land grab here and has to do with real estate, but this had to do with their faith. And these daughters of the tribe of Manasseh, again, they didn't have brothers and they stepped back and they said, wait a minute, you know what? Does that mean we're not going to get the inheritance from our father because we don't have any brothers? And, and, and then our, our father's name, again, won't be continued. And so remember, they went to Moses and they said, listen, isn't it right that 
in our father's passing, and he wasn't part of Korah's rebellion, they, they, they made that point of that, you know, shouldn't his land go to us? And so the Lord went, or Moses went, he didn't just say no, he did what any wise leader would do, he went and inquired of the Lord, because this hadn't been addressed yet. And the Lord honored the faith of these women, and he said, absolutely, uh, you know what, the land should go to them, but if they marry outside of the tribe of Manasseh, then that land's going to get transferred to that other tribe. And, and if they marry within the tribe, then the land stays within the tribe of Manasseh. And he says here in the year of Jubilee, he says in verse 4, the land won't return to Manasseh. Because in the year of Jubilee, it be when all the debts you know, were, were null and void. And wouldn't it be nice to have a year of Jubilee like right now, you know, all the debt. But everything was based on the number of years before the year of Jubilee. So it was kind of a sliding scale. And, and basically, if, if uh, you, know, you sold your land, uh, for the most part, it would be like a 50-year lease. And then you get that back. He says, if they do this, though, the tribe's not going to get the land back. It's going to remain with the other tribe. So it's like, yeah, we'll give you that, that land, but it's got to stay in the tribe. And if you marry out, it's going through another tribe. When we looked at this, we saw, again, these ladies took a huge step of faith in it. And they said, we want to claim our rightful inheritance. And, and it's a lesson for us in that, listen, we have so many things in the Lord. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies is ours. His promises are yes and amen. And how many times we don't claim those promises because we don't take steps of faith. And the Lord wants us taking those steps of faith, claiming again. I'm not, I'm not talking about naming and claiming millions of dollars, whatever. God wants you to have that. You'll have that. If not, you know what? He'll provide all your needs according to riches and glory. But those spiritual blessings, walking in who we are in the Lord and walking by faith and knowing who we are in Christ. And so they took that step of faith for the rightful inheritance. The Lord, again, rightfully sought the Lord in it. In doing this, it wasn't these ladies just concerned about, again, their physical inheritance, but it was their concern for the gospel. You know, they, they understood that through the seed of woman, a savior would be born. They didn't have all the knowledge we have today. They might have thought that, you know what, the savior was still going to come through the tribe of Manasseh, though it had been clearly said it was through Judah. But, you know, there's a lot of things you know after the fact a lot clearer than before the fact, right? I mean, we talk about eschatology and the coming of Jesus. You talk to some people, boy, they got it all figured out. I guarantee you when it all folds, they're going to go, well, I got that wrong. But one thing we can't have right is Jesus is coming back, amen? We, we know that, and we're always to be looking. So again, this was a, their concern for, for the gospel, which was part of their eternal inheritance. They had a concern about their souls. They had a concern about the souls of their children. They had a concern about their rewards in heaven. And it's just a reminder to us tonight to ask the question, what am I concerned about? You know, do I have that concern about my eternal inheritance, or am I just so caught up here on earth, I'm just scrapping, you know, to get by for another day. The Lord wants us to think beyond, uh, you know, at the temporary things. Another really cool thing with this, and then we'll finish out the chapter here. It's not very long. The chiefs of the tribes of the families, as well as Moses and the men that were in leadership, listen, they fully accepted this, you know, at ruling from God. And it's not something that they you know, it tried to resist. Uh, maybe there were some that did because again, this had to do with the Lord looking out for these women and, and uh, you know, their inheritance and, and their children and so forth. 
And it's just neat to see biblically, and this is where people that are so ignorant of the scriptures, they act like the Bible oppresses women. Listen, the, the, the Bible acknowledges women as, as co-equals and heirs in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, men and women absolutely have different roles. There's no, no question about that. But men are called to rightfully lead, but they're called to rightfully lead considering the women more important than themselves. And it's just beautiful to see this passage where the chiefs said, yeah, this is right. We need to look out for these women. And hear this tonight, men. Real men look out for women. They protect them. They look over them. They make decisions, again, based first of all on seeking the Lord, and then what is going to be best for the spiritual state and the protection and my home and so forth. And when men get into the place where they're saying, well, I'm leading and I lead selfishly to make it all about me, then you're not being led by the Lord. And men, when you're not being led by the Lord, you're being led by yourself. Listen, the Lord will step in and he will correct you. And you don't want that. You don't want that. You want to be walking in conjunction with him. Now notice, again, this is established. And now 5 through 13, we see how this played out. And it's been mentioned, I think, two or three times at this point. Now we see how it all played out. Verse 5, it says, Then Moses commanded the children of Israel according to the word of the Lord, saying, What the tribe of the sons of Joseph speak is right. Remember, Manasseh and Ephraim were of Joseph. That's what he's talking about here. Those were Joseph's two sons. They became two tribes. This is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zelophehad. Zelophehad. There it is. Not a common common name, right? Zelophehad. Let them marry whom they think best, but, but they may marry only within the family of their father's tribe. So the inheritance of the children of Israel may not change hands from tribe to tribe. For every one of the children of Israel shall keep the inheritance of the tribe of his father. And every daughter who possesses an inheritance in any tribe of the children of Israel shall be the wife of one of the family, family of her tribes, her father's tribe. So the children of Israel, each may possess the inheritance of his fathers. Thus, no inheritance shall change hands from one tribe to another, but every tribe of the children of Israel shall keep its own inheritance. Just as the Lord commanded Moses, so did the daughters of Zelophehad. Zelophehad. You guys are just going to have laughs at me tonight. For Mahala, Terzah, Hogla, Milcah, and Noah, the daughters of Zelophehad were married to the sons of the fathers of, of their father's brothers. And we'll summarize this here in a second if you got lost in the middle of this. They were married into the families of the children of Manasseh, of the sons of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribe of their father's family. These are the commandments and the judgments which the Lord commanded the children of Israel by the hand of Moses in the plains of Moab, by the Jordan, across from Jericho. So basically what happened was they said, yeah, it's their inheritance, but again, if they marry outside of the tribe, the land goes. And they all acknowledge that. Yeah, okay, that's how it's going to be. But Moses says, listen, you can do that, but what would be best for you would be if you marry within your tribe. That would be what would be best, that you would stay equally yoked within that tribe. Because the Lord would rather not have this land divided out of the tribe. And the lesson for us is this, listen, in the Lord we have a a, a permissive will in so many things. There, there is a, a free will we have, a permissive will, uh, and yet you have God's perfect will. Amen. And when it comes to marrying, God has a 
you know, permissive will when it comes between a man and a woman. Now, if it's not a man and a woman, then there's no permissiveness at all. It's just sin. But a man and a woman, and if they're in a place, again, where, uh, you know, biblically they're in a place to be able to marry, listen, if you enter into that marriage, God's going to honor it. He absolutely is. And once you're married, you're married in the eyes of God, the eyes of men. And I know a lot of people, they've got married, then afterwards they said, well, I was folded in that married mistake. You know, time out, this doesn't really count. That's completely unbiblical. Amen. Completely unbiblical. Once you get married, God's going to honor that. He has a permissive will in it. His perfect will would be that you would marry someone who you're equally yoked with. That you share what? The same inheritance. That you save, serve the same Lord. That's God's desire for us, that we would be equally yoked. Because listen, this is going to be someone you spend the rest of your life with, and you want to marry someone who loves the Lord Jesus, as hopefully you love the Lord Jesus. And I've said many times, I have people get angry with me about this, I've said before, listen, people, Christians that marry people that don't love Jesus are in a place where they're not loving Jesus themselves. I'm not saying they don't love Jesus, but they're not loving Jesus. Because why in the world would you want to marry someone who doesn't love the Lord? Wouldn't you want that to be first in you know, their life? And I know there's been a lot of people, they'll go and they get married and they say, well, you know, I'm going to missionary marry. You've heard of missionary dating, you know, I'm going to convert them out on our date. You know, when we're playing putters golf over here, I'm going to lead them to the Lord. And, um, you know, they get this, mind, this mindset. Some people get that idea in marriage. Well, I'm going to, once I get married, then I'm, I'm going to convert them. And, and listen, it doesn't always go down that way. And once you're married, you're there. And uh, I think one of the most difficult places can be when there's a believer really wanting to serve the Lord and they're married to someone who doesn't know the Lord that has no desire for the Lord. You talk about two, you know, an, an equal, equally yoke means two beasts under the same yoke moving in the same direction in conjunction together to make the pull of that plow easy. And then all of a sudden you got a beast of a, you know, you put a sheep uh, in with a bull to say, pull the yoke. That's going to, that's going to, you're going to be a sidewinder. You know, nothing's going to work. It, it just, it's just going to be difficult. And so listen, in life, there's some, there's a lot of things where there's permissive will, but then you got God's perfect will. And God's perfect will is always good. And these women here, listen, they had that freedom, but they said, we want God's perfect will. And they didn't settle. Instead, they waited for the best. And they did what was best. And if you're here tonight in a place of singleness, I just can't encourage you enough. You know what? Do not settle. Wait for the best. Wait upon the Lord. Walk by faith. And, and all of us, in all of things, let's try to strive to ask God to give us faith, to walk in his perfect will Versus, again, things that, you know, maybe there's some freedoms and some permissive will, but it's not going to be what God, it's not going to be God's best for you. His best is always so much better. Amen. So there's probably a lot more we could talk about there, but we're going to move on to Deuteronomy. And notice how, notice how the chapter ends, though, here. It says they're across from Jericho. And, uh, you know, if you've ever read the book of Joshua, where does it start? They're there you know, outside of Jericho, right? And it's where they seek the Lord and, and God says, go march around the city seven times. The walls are going to fall in and take it. And so that's where they're at. Again, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Jericho, it all happens in a very short time span. So you look at these, all these books written over all these years. Again, about half of Numbers through the beginning of, 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 of Joshua, it probably all happens within three years. 
and, and they're waiting there, and, and it may be even less than that. And so they're outside of Jericho, and now we come to Deuteronomy, which again, it's the second law or the repetition of the law, again, quoted almost 100 times in the New Testament and, and, and by Jesus more than any other book. So let's read the first uh, eight verses here, and we'll talk a little bit about that and take this in a few sections. It says, these are the words which Moses spoke to all of Israel on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness in the plain opposite of Suf between Paran, Tophel, Laban, uh, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. And so they're on the east side of the Jordan. That's where they're at, where modern day Jordan actually is. In the 11th day's journey from Orab by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh uh, Barnea, by the way, and I've shared this many times, whenever you read Mount Sierra, Mount Seir in the scriptures, it's referring to the rock city of Petra. And, and um, you know, it's that place where most likely Israel will, will take refuge in, in the tribulation. And uh, you don't, I don't know if the word Petra, it's there in the, in the Greek, I know. Uh, but it's uh, Mount Sierra is, again, or even... Edom, it's a reference to Petra. And by the way, it's the third most mentioned city in the Bible, when you understand that. First is Jerusalem, then Babylon, and then Mount Seir, Edom. It's all, it's all Petra, that place. That's where the Edomites or the Edomites settled. So he says here, now it came to pass in the 14th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all the Lord had given him as commandments to them, after he had killed Shion, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who dwelt at Ashereth in Edrei. And we talked about these things previously in Numbers. Again, some things are being reiterated to set things up and so forth. Next week, Lord willing, in Deuteronomy 2, we'll talk a little bit more about these kings in the east. And, 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 and again, we get through this chapter, we'll be reminded that these lands were full of giants. And, and we've talked a little bit, the reasons for that and the reasons the Lord wanted to destroy that. Remember, uh, Og was a guy whose bed was 14 feet long. So it wasn't just because he liked a California king. It's what he needed to sleep in. And so just kind of, again, that kind of stirs people up too, you know, especially on a midweek Bible study. You know, oh, wow, this is interesting. Verse 5. On this side of the Jordan of the land of Moab, Moses began to explain this law. So again, Deuteronomy, second law. He's explaining the law again, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us in Oreb, saying, You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the mountain of the Amorites, to all the neighboring places in the plain, and the mountains of the lowland in the south, on the seacoast to the land of the Canaanites, to Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, See, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them and their descendants after them. So again, all this is Moses' farewell speech. He's passing truth down to the next generation. We absolutely need to be doing that as well. And we're having Bible study in here tonight, but down the hall and in the modular and hopefully in all our homes, we're teaching God's word to our kids. It's not just something where we're, you know, in here, and oh yeah, you put on a cartoon for them back there. I hate the, I hate the, 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 even the mention of childcare in church. It should be all these children's ministry. They're getting ministered to. 
And Moses, again, is ministering. He's explaining the law. He's not just reading, but he's teaching them the law to prepare them because he says, listen, you've dwelt long enough in this wilderness. You've dwelt long enough in these mountains. It's time for you to move forward, and it's time for you to go possess what God has swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the land of Canaan. And this is something that we need to be reminded of Sometimes we get in a place of being stagnant or lukewarm in the Lord, and that's not God's will for us. And if you've been there, if you're stagnant tonight or lukewarm, listen, this is a word for you. You've dwelt there long enough. Whether it's been a day or it's been 10 years, it's long enough because he's called us to abound in him. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable. Notice here, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And he's telling them, listen, you've been stagnant long enough. It's time now. It's time to move forward. It's time to go and take that land which is swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which, which God said he's going to give to your descendants. And so, again, we see again reference to the land that God had given to them, deeded to them. By the way, God has never retracted that deed I know there's a lot of arguing today amongst you know, like kings and people in high places who that land really belongs to over there. If, if you're going to deal with the facts whatsoever, biblically and even historically, absolutely the land belongs to the Israelites, uh, you know, the Palestinians. You know, some say, well, it was, they, they actually were given that name uh, kind of flippantly as saying, well, they're descendants of the Philistines. And they're not even descendants of the Philistines. They're descendants of Esau, if anything. And God never gave that land to Esau. Who, what land did he give to Esau? He gave him Mount Seir. And then he actually took that from them in the book of Obadiah. But he gave that land to Israel. When Israel wasn't in that land, it's not because God said, I'm taking the deed away. It was God chastening them because of the rebellion, as he said. But he always promised to bring them back. And even in the Old Testament, when he scattered them, he'd bring them back. And after the cross, when the bulk of Israel rejected Christ, he scattered them. But what did he say in the last days? What did we do? He'd bring them back. And again, in 1948, a miracle happened, and God brought all Israel back. In 1967, he gave them Jerusalem, gave them the Golan Heights. Guess what? That belongs to them. This idea of that being occupied territory. Yeah, it's occupied by people who shouldn't be there. And that was Israel even doing that, trying to make peace with a people group that you're never going to make peace with on this side of glory, at least real peace. So you got to know everything going on over there in Israel today even goes back to these things we're reading about here in Scripture. So you need to know that because there's even a lot of Christians today that don't call Israel Israel. They call it Palestine. And it's not Palestine, it's Israel. And God's doing a work there. And you need to know this biblically because, again, there's just, there's just a lot of ignorance in these things. And if you don't understand God's faithfulness to Israel, how can you ever understand God's faithfulness to you as a born-again Christian and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? He doesn't recant his promises. They're yes and amen. I'll get off my rant now. Verse 9. And I spoke to you at that time saying, I, I alone am able not to bear you. This is Moses saying. And the Lord your God has multiplied you. Here you are today as the stars of heaven in multitude. And how amazing they came out of slavery where they were multiplied. And then they got out in the wilderness and you think they'd die off. But what happened in the wilderness? They were multiplied more. And God wants to grow us even in bondages. And God wants to grow us in trials. And God wants to grow us in wilderness experiences. They're not vain. 
And maybe tonight you're in a wilderness experience in your walk with the Lord. Listen, God's wanting to grow you in that. Maybe you're wrestling with things. Maybe you feel oppressed by things. The Lord's still on the throne. He's with you to the end of the age, and he's wanting to grow you. Let him grow you even in the midst of trials and tribulations. In fact, that's their main purpose. Verse 11, may the Lord your God, uh, your, your fathers, uh, may the Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times more numerous than you are and bless you as he has promised you. How can I alone bear your problems and your burdens and your complaints? And boy, they had a lot of complaints, didn't they? And so he's talking about the beginning when they started off. He said, all your issues were too big. And then he told them in verse 13, choose wise, understanding, and knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I'll make them heads over you. And you answered me and said, the thing which you have told us is good. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and knowledgeable men, and made them heads over you, leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens, and officers of your tribe. Then I commanded your judges at that time, saying, Hear the case between your brother and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the stranger who is with him, and you shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid of any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. The case that is too hard for you bring to me, and I will hear it, and I will command you at that time all the things which you should do. So Moses is now beginning to reiterate things that they had gone through in the wilderness. And what we'll see him doing here is pointing out the good things, saying you need to learn from this and keep doing this, as well as pointing out things that were wrong, saying don't do this. And what he points out was, what was good is that early on there, remember, we saw this in Exodus, the people would line up longer than the eye could see, and they'd all be waiting for Moses to judge their case. You think, you know, waiting in the DMV is long, but you didn't even have those little tickets. You just had to sit there and wait. And, and, and Moses was doing this. Well, he had a father-in-law who was a priest of Midian who seemed to be a, a, a priest of the Lord of Midian. Jethro was his name. And, and remember, he came to Moses. He said, what in the world are you doing here? If you keep doing this, you're going to burn out these people. Because again, don't you feel burnout every time you leave the DMV? And, and you're going to burn out the people and you're going to get burned out. And really, he gave them a word from the Lord. And he said, you need to appoint leaders, you know, over larger numbers and medium numbers and smaller numbers so they can help rule over the people. So if there's a small matter, you know, they can take it maybe to a ruler of 50. Maybe it's a little larger matter, bring it to a ruler of a thousand or a head of a tribe. You need to distribute this. Uh, again, uh, you know, you, you, you need to, to, to allow the burden to be carried by more. Uh, you need to raise up leaders, some over larger groups, some over smaller groups. And this is a New Testament concept as well. That, that, you know, God hasn't called a pastor to micromanage a church. That, that's, that's, a, that's a burnout wish is what that is. He would desire for people to get raised up over different, you know what, uh, ministries and, and so forth. And, and, you know, other elders being raised up and so forth. Uh, the book of Titus is written in part, Paul says to Titus, I left you in Crete that you could appoint elders to help rule over the church so there can be order there. And Titus and Timothy both talk about deacons and so forth. And so Moses is saying, listen, as you did that before, you need to do that again. When you get there into the promised land, you need to raise up leaders and, and, and have them overseas so that things could be spread out, obviously, with all of it under the umbrella of the Lord under the umbrella of, of God and under the umbrella of this law that would be given to him by God. He also said, you know what, in this, when you make judgments, 
these that are raised up, make sure you're not corrupt. Make sure, again, you hear the small matters as well as the great matters. That you don't say, oh, that's a little small matter. We don't care about that. Well, it might be small to you, but is it small to them? And, and, and you don't want a stirring. So here are the small things. Here are the big things. And then I love what he says. He says, don't be afraid of any man's presence. Don't walk with the fear of man. You need to have the fear of God in this. And when it comes to a lot of times rulings like this, there's certain people that will try to invoke a fear to bully to get their way. You ever run like anyone of that in life? There are certain people they try to use an intimidation. And he says, don't do that. And, and I'll tell you, one of the ways you can tell whether you're fearing God or you're fearing men, if you're fearing men, that means you have a lack of fear of God. And sometimes I'll see, hear people go, oh, I'm afraid of that person. Well, you know what that tells me? You got a lack of fear of God. Because when, you don't, when you're fearing God, I don't care who it is, you're not going to have a fear of man. Amen. And you're saying, oh, but you don't know how this person is. Listen, God's greater than that pile of dust that he gave birth to. And you got to go pray about that. You got to get that right before God. You got to trust in him. And as, as you fear God and honor God, you're not going to fear men. So maybe even tonight, are there people in your life who you fear and you know you shouldn't fear them? Maybe that bully at work or, you know, maybe you got to go before some judge in, in, in some situation or whatever. And you're like, oh man, I'm really intimidated. I'm fearful. It's not to say we're not to respect authority and so forth. Absolutely. But listen, get on your face before God. A fear of God brings repentance. A fear of God says, I want to honor God's word. That's the real fear of God. It's not just saying, I fear God, but I go do whatever I want. If you're doing whatever you want, you're not fearing God. The fear of God is, again, found in prayer and repentance and obedience and worship and, and crying out for help and so forth and understanding God's word's true and God's word is going to unfold you know, accordingly. So again, if you're fearing men, you need to get more of a fear of God. You remember who your God is, that he's on the throne, that he gave again that, that walking pile of dirt, and that's what we are. We're made out of dirt and water. He's the one that gave them breath. Why are you fearing them more than fearing God? And if you are fearing them more than fearing God, again, it's, it's, it's most likely that there's stuff in your heart that needs to be dealt with. There's a reason for that. Quickly here, verse 19. And now we see the refusal to, to enter in the land. He says, so we departed from Oreb. Uh, we went through all the great and terrible wilderness, which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites, and the Lord our God had commanded us. Then we came to Kadesh uh, Barnea, and I said to you, you have come to the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it as the Lord your God of your fathers has spoken. Do not fear or be discouraged." So he's talking about bringing them there to the promised land. Again, they're in the wilderness. He brought them to that place. That time in the wilderness, again, they've been about a year there. It had been great and terrible. And then he says, listen, don't fear or be discouraged. Just go in and take it. That was the word of God. Just go take it. You know, if there was a pile of gold there and you heard God say, just go take it, hopefully you just go take it, right? You say, I'm not going to question that. That's what this was, a land of milk and honey. And God's saying, listen, don't be discouraged. Just go take it. How can just go take it be discouraging, right? That's, that's encouraging. God's saying, just go take it. But verse 22, it says, And every one of you came near to me and said, Let us send men before us that, and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us uh, of the way by which we should go up and to the cities into which we shall come. 
verse 23, the plan pleased me well, so I took 12 men, one from each tribe. Moses is thinking at this point, God said, go take it. We're going to go take it. He's thinking they're asking men to go spy to see how we should go take it. And he said, that's a good plan. Really what they were doing was saying, let's go see people to say if we really can take it. God said, you could take it. But they said, well, we need some men to say if we can take it or not. If God says, go take it, isn't that good enough? But we need some men to tell us and tell us if God's telling the truth or not. We do this ourselves so often. Verse 24. And again, we looked at all this in great detail. I, I could spend two weeks talking about this, but listen, this is to recap it. So you can go back and listen to this in Exodus if you weren't with us for that. Or, and go read about it. It says, the, it says, uh, the man pleased, pleased me, and then verse 24, and they departed and went up to the mountains and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out, also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us, and they brought back word to us, saying, it's a good land which the Lord has given us. Remember, the grapes were so big, two guys had to carry it on a stick. It was massive. It was like the land of the giants. Verse 26, nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us to the hand of Amorites to destroy us. Well, you talk about leaning on your understanding. God delivered him from the superpower of the earth, Egypt, has sustained him in the wilderness. Now God's saying, listen, just go in and take it. That's all you got to do. If they just listened to God, they could have went in and they, they could have took it. But these guys come back and, and, and they say, uh, you know what? We, we, we can't take it. And they listen to those men instead of God. And look at this. Sometimes we think of rebellion just when we do something we shouldn't do. But God's calling them rebellious and doing something and not doing something they should do. And how many times do we think sin is, oh, we did something we shouldn't do? Sin's also when we don't do what we should do. That's rebellious. It's rebellion. And again, they lied about the person of God. He hates us. That's, that's one of the enemy's early tactics, villainize God. God's the bad guy. God's saying, go in and take it. And they're saying, oh, you're a bad guy, bad God. Verse 28, how can we go up? Our brother Egypt, uh, how, how can we go up? I'm getting excited here. Our brother have discouraged us in our hearts saying, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. And we'll talk about them next week. These again are post-flood giants where fallen angels came and took on the daughters of men. Why? To corrupt the seed of man whom God said the Savior would come through to try to break the promise of God that the Savior would come to the seed of woman. That's what all this is about. And some people say, oh, no, I'm not comfortable with that. Listen, this is biblical. This is completely scriptural. This is found in the archaeological records all around the world. Giants are found on every single continent upon the face of the earth. And listen, I may not all understand it, but I'm going to preach it like it is and not be ashamed of it because it's absolutely factual and it makes sense theologically and you even see it practically again in the archaeological digs all around the world. And so they said these giants are there. Verse 29, then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness uh, where you saw how the Lord your God carried you. Isn't that awesome? As a man carries his son in the way that 
you went until you came to this place, yet for all that you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search out the place to pitch your tents to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and the cloud by day. So again, God said, I delivered you from Egypt. I went before you there in the wilderness. I said, go in and take the land. I will go before you. I will fight for you. I will slay these giants, these Anakin, these Nephilim and everything. I will go before you. But instead of just believing God's word, you said, we need to send some fellows in here to check it out. And they went in not by faith, but with their eyes, right? And they saw and they said, it's too big. And they came back and discouraged the people. And then they were rebellious in what they did not do. And Moses is reiterating to this because he's saying, don't do as they did. You need to go in and take it this time. You've been in the wilderness too long. It's time to go seize the promises of God and believe God and quit listening to these lying voices. And listen, this is a message for us today. God wants us to move forward in him, but how many times has the enemy tried to invoke fear in our heart? It's a weapon of Satan. Boy, he wants us to be fear-ridden versus trusting a God by faith. This is why Paul has it so right when he says, I don't count my life dear to myself. You ever read that? Like, oh, Paul, you didn't count your life dear to himself? You know what he was saying? He was saying, I trust in the Lord because when I count my life dear to myself, I get, I get stricken by fear. That's what they were doing, counting their life dear to themselves. He said, if we go in there, we're going to lose our life. And God said, no, if you go in there, you're going to gain life is what you're going to do. And how many times do we don't walk by faith because we count our life so dear to ourselves? What are we? We're afraid we're going to lose it. And yet Jesus said, if you lay down for your life for my sake, you'll gain it. But if you hold on to it, you'll lose it. And that's usually the battle between faith and fear. And so many times we don't walk by faith because in fear we're holding on to something to say, but I don't want to lose this. And there's so many of those things. And maybe that's you tonight. And you're saying, I want that faith. I would encourage you to go home and pray before God for three or four hours on your face and cry out to him and cry out to him and cry out to him. And I guarantee if you'll do that in sincerity, God will meet you where you're at and he'll build your faith. Cry out to him. Get his word in your heart. That's been my experience at times and I think I can back it up with scripture. Verse 34. And the Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry. And took an oath saying, surely not one of these men of this evil generation will see that good land of which I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of uh, Zephunah. He shall see it. And to his children, uh, to him and his children, I am giving the land which he walked because he wholly followed the Lord. The Lord also was angry with me for your sake, saying, even you shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there, encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Moreover, your little ones and your children, who you said will be victims, you t who today have, uh, have no knowledge of good and evil, they weren't at the age of accountability, they shall go there, to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Joshua and Caleb said, let's go in and take it. So God honored their faith, and he said, listen, they're gonna go in, and then all your little ones, which was, uh, under 20 years old, they said they're going to die out in the wilderness. And God said, no, they're going to go in and take it. You're going to die in the wilderness. And that's who now Moses is talking to. And he's saying, God sustained you. You weren't at the age of accountability then. Uh, again, you didn't know good from evil. You were under grace, but now you're grown men and it's time to walk by faith on the promises of God. It's time to go in 
and it's time to take it. Verse 41. Again, the counsel of those men was wrong, right? And, and, and when, they, when they listened to the counsel of men over God, where did they end up? Did they end up in a land of fruitfulness? No, they ended up in a wilderness. And I'll tell you, when we get gripped by fear and we say, I'm not going to move because if I move, I'm going to lose this, welcome to the wilderness. But when you say, listen, I'm going to trust in God and I'm going to let God provide for me. And listen, if, if, if everything around me goes to nothing, the Lord Jesus Christ is with me and nothing can separate me from the love of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And by that, that's, that's where real living is found. But I think Christianity in the West is so fear-based. It's so, it is so, there is such a lack of faith because we got so much stuff and we want to hold on to it. And boy, I don't want to do that because I might lose this. Well, who gave you in that first place? The Lord. And has he not been good to you and generous to you? I think he's done enough for us to trust in him, right? Like he delivered them out of Egypt. He says, I've done all this for you. Look at us here tonight. We're blessed in this place, aren't we? And so why would we, why would we not want to step out by faith? Verse 41, we're almost done here. Then you answered and said to me, we have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. When every one of you had girded, girded his weapons for war, you were ready to go up the mountain. And the Lord said to me, tell them, do not go up nor fight, for I am not among you, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, yet you would not listen, but rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up the mountain. And the Amorites who dwell on that mountain came out against you, chased you as bees do. I was in Paso the day in the park and there was a big swarm of bees. Can you imagine being chased by that? You'll find some water to jump in, right? Hope you have a straw so you can breathe, snorkel. And drove you back from Seir to Hormoth, Hormah. Uh, then you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not listen to your voice no, nor give ear to you. So you remain in Kadesh many days according to the days that you spent there. So again, they rebelled when they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And then instead of just repenting, saying, okay, well, let's see God, they rebelled in doing what God told them not to do. And he already said, you're not going to take the land. They said, well, we're going to go now. And listen, the thing with that is you need to act while you have opportunity. Because the day is going to come when you cannot. We're going to talk about a lot of that on Sunday. You got to act now. Now's the time to be about the business of the Lord because the day is going to come when that time's going to come and go. And they didn't act when they should, and they said, We want to act now. And he said, It's too late for that. Go enjoy the wilderness for 40 years. So, so much to consider here. We just kind of, again, this is that reiteration. Hopefully, you get and understand the point of it. It's just not repetitiveness to fill up pages. He's getting the second generation ready. Learn from the good things, learn from the bad things, get equipped with the law, then go in and walk by faith in what God has for you. Lord, we praise you tonight. We thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, a lot for us to take in and consider, and I just hope and pray that we would, that we'd consider, God, these things and think on them, and you'd continue to minister to our hearts. And absolutely, God, we pray that faith would swallow up fear. And Lord, we know the enemy wants to invoke fear. Lord, we know you want to bring faith. Faith comes by hearing the word. I hope our faith has grown and increased tonight. And God, it would continue to. And we thank you, Lord, for just the work of the cross and all of this, that indeed you came into the world, the Messiah, as you said you would. You died for our sins and rose from the grave. And we thank you for your promises that declare whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And Lord, I hope and pray tonight in this place we have all done that. 
But if you're here tonight and you have not, listen, today is the day of salvation. And it is time to bring your sin and rebellion before God and ask for forgiveness. And to repent from that and ask him to be the Lord of your life. And listen, he will meet you where you are if you cry out to him in sincerity and truth. And I can't encourage you enough to do so if you have not. Because we don't know what tonight or even tomorrow holds. So bless the rest of our evening, God. We thank you for your, for your uh, great faithfulness to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.